Hey there, what chicken, man? Let's see what Midas Touch is up to today. This, oh, this afternoon. Thanks for 210k, man. You have great taste. Ancient Elon Vicente sends optimistic note on chances to beat Trump in South Carolina. That's Forbes breaking news. Bunch of motherfuckers. Keep telling them they should be uh, renouncing, revoking, or uh, retroactively uh, canceling Trump as on the list of world's richest people because he lied to them too. Told them many times, but they're a bunch of right wing nuts. Sound like a bunch of fat MAGA fascists. The way they, they cover um, Jim Jordan and the House Republicans, like they're cheering for fucking MAGA fascists. Okay, Trump's close advisors turned against him on live TV one hour ago. Yeah, right, whatever. I have to be amazed at mail services. I'm Ben Marcellus from the Midas Touch Network. More former officials from the Trump administration are going on TV and speaking out against Donald Trump. Here's former Trump top DOJ lawyer Richard Donahue defending special counsel Jack Smith's criminal investigations of Donald Trump. Play the clip. Rich Donahue, you worked in the Trump administration. You also know Jack Smith. It sounds like Leader McCarthy is basically saying Jack Smith is corrupt uh, and has been politically corrupted. What do you make of that? Yeah, I think nothing could be further from the truth. For some people, Donald Trump will always be a man who is targeted because he stands up to corrupt elites. And for others, he will always be Benedict Donald, the leader who puts his own interests above the country's. Those people will never be convinced either way. But what we have to focus on are the people who have not made up their minds, and that's what the Justice Department will do, and that's what I think Jack Smith is doing. I don't think he is political, he is not left-wing, he is not an agent of the deep state. Um, His politics will put him right of center, I believe. And uh, look, he, he secured the first capital sentence in New York in more than 50 years. He is not a bleeding heart liberal. So you think it's unfair when some on the right and some on the far right have been saying he's just a tool of the left wing. I I don't believe that for men. I've known Jack for decades. I've seen him work many, many cases over the years up close. I've seen him work incredibly hard at doing that. And what he's always done is follow the facts and apply the law. Here is Donald Trump's former Secretary of Defense, Mark Esper. Play the clip. I don't plan on endorsing anybody. I said that I wouldn't support Donald Trump. I don't think he's fit for office because he puts himself first and I think anybody running for office should put the country first and they should abide by their oath and do a number of other things. Look, I, there's a, a, a crowd of about 12 or so Republican candidates beyond Trump. I think at least half of them are very credible. Any of those six or so could beat President Biden if they become the nominee. And what I'm looking for, and, and I'm willing to assist any one of them, uh, help them. Uh, I'm looking for somebody who puts the country first, who will abide by their oath, who will advance traditional Republican policy and objectives, and uh, who will bring the Republican Party together, grow the party, and win elections. You have to win elections, and 
And Donald Trump has not been able to win elections, whether they're House, Senate, or White House. And so that's what Republicans need to do. We've showed many clips of Chris Christie, who was used to do debate prep for Donald Trump and used to be supportive of Donald Trump. And here's one of the more recent clips of Chris Christie going on Newsmax and saying that uh, Donald Trump did not preserve and protect and defend our Constitution. Play the clip. Do you think Donald Trump had an interest in inciting the overthrow of the American government that day? About time the rats start jumping ship. Frankly, I don't think he cared one way or the other, Eric. I think what he wanted was to stay in office. Um, and I don't think he cared one way or the other what was going to happen. In fact, if he really did care... In fact, if he really did care, he would have done what he said he was going to do. But he stood on the ellipse. He said, let's march up to the Capitol together. And I'm going to go with you. Uh, he went nowhere near it, Eric. He didn't care uh -huh. what was going to happen up there. Uh, he sent people up there to put pressure, I believe, on Mike Pence and on members of Congress to stall the, the peaceful transition of power. And he said as much later on when he said that it's okay to suspend the Constitution. Um, you can't. Take an oath, Eric, Terminate the Constitution is what he said. Fuck off. To date, Alex Nani has donated over sixty million dollars to nonprofits worldwide. That's A L E X A N D A N I dot com and use code Midas at checkout for twenty percent off your order. In an article in Media recently says brutal brutal new poll shows Trump losing big to President Biden, even with third party spoiler. Let's not get complacent. Uh -huh. Talks about a new Monmouth poll. We talked about one from Quinnipiac that Biden was up pretty big as well. And this Monmouth University poll suggests that uh, Donald Trump would be easily dispatched and lose by President Joe Biden in 2024 if a rematch occurred, even if there was a third party candidacy by someone like Joe Manchin. In the national survey of 910 voters, 47% of voters said they would definitely or probably support Biden, while just 40% said they would back Trump. Even if you threw in a third-party ticket, the results would stay uh, very similar, with 63% of voters pro profess to have an unfavorable view of Trump, and half of voters said they would definitely not support Trump in 2024. I expect that we will see more polls out like this. I expect that we will see um, more former Trump officials speaking out against Donald Trump, understanding how dangerous he is. But here's the thing. I think we're 470 or so days away from the election. It is so important that we each just do a little bit 
every single day. If we could be the difference in 2024, the Midas Mighty community. You just speak to one or two people that you know each day, the amount of people you'll have, have reached out to, and they'll reach out to people. The exponential effect in a community like this that's in the millions could be the difference in this election. So let's start now. Just reach out to a few people, tell them about the Midas Touch Network, have them watch some of the videos, make sure they're registered to vote. And if you want to, leave in the comments below um, some information about if you've successfully registered voters and how you've successfully persuaded people. Won't let vote. me do that. Let's see a Trump. Let's see a most shocking moment from Republican hearing they don't want you to see. What if I told you there's a secret act to get all your favorite TV channels for free legally? Would you do it? This new groundbreaking discovery. I'm Ben Micellis from the Midas Touch Network. I want to show you some democratic firepower in the House of Representatives just utterly exposing this MAGA Republican nonsense for what it really is. Let's start by showing you this clip from a hearing that MAGA Republicans held on appliances and spreading conspiracies about President Biden's regulations, trying to prohibit gas stoves, that they're doing the gas stove hearing again. But here is Democratic superstar Jared Moskowitz, friend of the Midas Touch show, talking about what the most important issues truly should be that we should be focusing on here in the United States of America. Play this clip. Let me tell you something. Here's the score. Gun violence hearings in the 118th Congress, zero. Gas stoves, three. That's all you need to know about what's happening in the 118th Congress. I yield back. Chair uh -huh. now recognizes our good friend from Kentucky, Chairman Cummings. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Appreciate your leadership on this issue. And I have to respond to the gun violence. What good does it do to have gun laws on the books when you waive uh, gun penalties for privileged white children of high elected public officials? I'll yield. Mr. Chairman, uh, there were 17 people killed at my high school in my, in, 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 in my neighborhood. And so let's not make gun violence. I'm not making gun. I yield my time back. You're, okay. you, that's a credible question. You're not serious. So I want to now show you a clip. Same day, this is from Democratic Congress member Eric Swalwell from California. And here, Congressman Eric Swalwell at this uh, Judiciary Subcommittee hearing is calling out Jim Jordan's staff for taking non-consensual photographs of minors who are not asking to be photographed. And Eric Swalwell calls it weird and creepy, an invasion of privacy, and something that is typical of MAGA Republicans. Play this the Judiciary Committee has oversight jurisdiction over a single agency that services the Office of Refugee Resettlement. And the purpose of this agency is to provide immigrants with humanitarian resources when they enter our border. Nowhere is this more important than with children, especially those unaccompanied by a parent or a guardian. Assistant Secretary Ekorin, isn't it true that Chairman Jordan demanded access to files about unaccompanied minors as part of his requests? Thank you for the question, Congressman. Um, we do have 
requests regarding the Office of Refugee Resettlement. Including unaccompanied minors? Including document requests for related to the Office of Refugee Resettlement. And due to legitimate privacy concerns, because we're talking about children, you offered to provide Chairman Jordan with an in-camera review. Is that right? That is correct. We provided 1,200 pages of information for in-camera review, which the staff were able to review. And in-camera means that it's not public, they have access to the documents. Is that right? That is correct. You even asked them, because of the nature of what they were looking at and the privacy of minors, to not take any pictures or to publish anything of what they were looking at. Is that right? Congressman, it is common practice that because of the sensitive nature of these documents and the in-camera review process, that pictures are not taken and that they are handled in a highly sensitive manner. Yes. Were pictures taken during that in-camera review by Chairman Jordan's staff? It is my understanding that pictures were taken, and that is an unfortunate outcome. It's worse than an unfortunate outcome. It's violating the privacy of minors. And Assistant Secretary, were parts of those documents that you showed Chairman Jordan's staff published? Congressman, it is my understanding that parts of those documents were in the report produced by the majority. Again, this goes to a theme that we're seeing here. We talked about this last week with Hunter Biden's laptop. You violate an individual's privacy. You take non-consensual pictures from that laptop. You use it to weaponize a case against your political opponent. Here, we're talking about minors, and you're asked not to take pictures of information regarding minors. You take the pictures, and you put them out to the public. Again, that's weird. I don't know why you would do that. It's also just creepy. It's wrong. And kids have their privacy violated to make a political point. Here is a Democratic Congress member and superstar from Texas, Jasmine Crockett. And here, she calls out MAGA Republican Anna Paulina Luna, whatever. Changes her name every day. For just sinking to new levels. Play this clip. Are you aware that China does not like the United States and that has engaged in espionage activities against the United States? I don't have any personal professional knowledge of that. I suggest you read Breitbart. It never ceases to amaze me what will come out of some of my father's mouths. So it was suggested that you should read Breitbart, and I couldn't let it go. And so just for the general public, because I don't want anybody to believe that it's a good idea, I just got on Google, which if you have a cell phone, you can all do that. Breitbart News Network is an American far-right syndicated news opinion and commentary website founded in mid-2007 by American conservative commentator Andrew Breitbart. Breitbart News content has been described as misogynistic, xenophobic, and racist by academics and journalists. So I don't know that that's where I want anybody to take their cues from, especially when they're trying to run this country. That part. Of course, when we're talking about democratic firepower, here is AOC talking about the importance of DACA recipients and how patriotic these individuals are. I do not know a group of people that oftentimes are 
countries than doctors that have. They give and they give and they give to a country that does not love them back in their actions. Yet 74% of Americans, Republican and Democrat, believe in a path to citizenship for doctors that do. For children who were brought here and made this place their home. These DACA recipients are emblematic of the American dream. They are America's proof of concept. And to strip and undermine that is to undermine ourselves in this institution. If there's any individual that believes in stripping Medicaid from DACA recipients, I would like to know if they are willing to give the $6.6 billion that DACA recipients pay for their taxes back to them. Are we willing to refund the $3.3 billion of state and local taxes that they pay back to them so that they can afford their own health care? This shouldn't even be a question right now. And with that, I yield back. And AOC points out that DACA recipients pay more for members of Congress's health care than billion-dollar, trillion-dollar corporations. They serve in our health care systems. They serve our elderly. They are nursing home workers. And we're having a hearing today as to why people who are American, they are American, do not deserve health care. They're here lawfully. They pay more taxes than Facebook does. Then Trump they pay does. more taxes than many of our corporate, federal corporations do. Trump. They pay for DACA recipients pay for members of Congress's health care <laughs> more than Facebook does. <laughs> and we are sitting here having a hearing and saying we're going to return that favor by stripping them of their ability to engage in Medicaid. When they are the ones that are changing our grandparents' sheets in a nursing home? I cannot believe this. The idea that this would somehow act as an incentive when any DACA eligibility ended in 2007, over a dozen years ago, is laughable. And as is, I believe, the premise that the American healthcare system is somehow some boom for working class people and the best in the world. What in the American exceptionalism is going on here? And here is mm -hmm. Democratic Congress member Lynette Barragan from California on the House floor. Play the clip. Shalom and welcome to another episode of The Case for Messiah, an Old Testament defense of the New Testament faith. What? My name is Seth Costell. I'm here with Dr. Bernard Groshi, and today is an... Uh, thank you, Mr. Speaker. I rise as chair of the Congressional Hispanic Caucus in opposition to H.R. 3941, which is what I call the anti-student, anti-family, anti-immigrant act. This bill is another attempt by Republicans to dehumanize migrants under the excuse of student safety. Give me a break. First, this bill does nothing to protect our students. In fact, it does the opposite. It sets funding for schools that dare to provide shelter for those who escape oppression and seek protection in our country, even if the school 
is empty or closed down with no students. Republicans claim they are the party that protects children, but they are the same party that's directing Texas state troopers to push migrant children back into the Rio Grande River to drown. They should be ashamed. I urge my colleagues to oppose this anti-student and anti-immigrant proposal. I yield back. Compare that with the nonsense being spewed by Marjorie Taylor Greene. Marjorie Taylor Greene was the most anti-American moment in her time in Congress. Not the insurrection. Because it was when uh, a fence was put around the Capitol building after the it was said on this committee earlier that the border wall was an anti-American movement. That was said by a Democrat member earlier, and I think that is—I think that is an egregious thing to say. Uh, the border wall was, uh, you know, being built to protect our country, protect our border, help our border patrol agents. I think the most anti-American moment in this country was when a giant fence was erected around the Capitol. Uh, and left there for months, and our U.S. military was brought in and forced to sleep on the floor in parking garages for months at a time. I, I think that's an anti-American moment. Um, you know, I'm often told Democrats need to work on their messaging. It could always get better at their messages. But what I want to reflect on collectively, though, is these are some pretty good messengers. These are Democrats punching back bread in the truth. Good to see. It's why we want to highlight that here on the Midas Facility. It's good for our democracy when these MAGA Republicans are being called. So I am proud to share that with you. I'm Ben Marcellus from the Midas Facility. Hit subscribe. We're on our way to 1.5 million subscribers. Thanks for your support. Check us out at patreon.com slash Midas Touch. Wherever you get audio podcasts, subscribe to the Midas Touch. Hey, Midas Mighty, love the support. Continue the conversation by following us on Instagram, at Midas Touch. Keep up with the most important... She don't need no Instagram. She just uses Instagram. Trump destroys his own defense at new public statements. Michael Popak, legal AF. Donald Trump, in the last year and as recently as this past week, continues to tell the American people and his supporters that he has a defense to the Espionage Act claims brought against him by Jack Smith because Donald Trump, in his view, completely against the law, completely against the precedent of the Presidential Records Act, has the, in his view, quote, absolute an unquestioned right to take any documents he wants, return any documents he wants, once he left the presidency. He has said it time and time again. We've heard him say 
uh, for instance, um, with a spokesperson in August of 2022, going back almost a full year, that there was a standing order to declassify. Let's run that, and then I'm going to update on this hot take what's happened in the year since, but it starts in August of 2022. Here in Justin News, the following statement. I, I apologize for looking down, but I have to, it's so fresh, it's on my phone. It literally just came in. This is from President Trump's office. Uh, it just came in a few minutes ago. As we can all relate to everyone, to, as, uh, as we can all relate to, everyone ends up having to bring home their work from time to time. American presidents are no different. President Trump, in order to prepare the work the next day, often took documents, including classified documents, to the residents. He had a standing order, here's the word I've been looking for, that documents removed from the Oval Office and taken to the residents were deemed to be declassified the moment he removed them. The power to classify and declassify documents rests solely with the President of the United States. The idea that some paper-pushing bureaucrat with classification authority delegated by the President needs to approve the declassification is absurd. I asked around over the last couple of days. Okay, that is not how that works. First of all, there has been testimony developed by Jack Smith, the special prosecutor, that's established that there was no such order. In fact, in response to a Freedom of Information Act request made by a citizens group to obtain a copy of that standing order, the federal government had to respond, there is no written copy or any copy of the standing order. Other people, advisors of Donald Trump, stripped of immunity, forced and compelled to testify before the grand jury, or doing so to avoid their own criminal liability, have told Jack Smith, in no uncertain terms, that there was no uncertain, there was no standing order, that Donald Trump did not magically uh, make classification systems disappear, and nor did he think he did at the time he left the White House and the boxes were packed on his way to Mar-a-Lago. We also know that Donald Trump doesn't believe that either, because we have the Bedminster recordings that are part of the indictment Jack Smith has brought, in which Donald Trump clearly says, these documents that I'm showing you illicitly in violation of the Espionage Act, these Iranian war documents, these battle maps that I'm unfurling in front of you and you're laughing over without classification, without being having top secret classified uh, uh, ranking, those documents, all of those, they're classified. I wish I could have made them declassified when I had the chance when I was president, but I didn't. These are classified. Let me show them to you. That indicates, of course, to any thinking human being and a future juror that Donald Trump knew that he did not have a standing order, and that's all BS. That's August of, of uh, 2022, right, in which you heard the, um, you know, the spokesperson say, you know, it's like any person taking home work. You know, it's the president takes home work. Did he, he WFHs too? To which I respond, no, you didn't, AF. There's no way you took those documents home and just forgot to return them, not with all the evidence we have of you hiding them, moving them. I'll tell you what people don't do when they bring home, home work to work on from, from work. They don't then spend the rest of the day hiding it from their wives, their wife, and loved ones. They don't say, well, I'll put it on the table. Wait a minute, she's coming home soon. I'll go put my work in a closet. No, now she's not looking. She's looking the other way. I'll move it down to the basement. Oh, I'll, I'll hide it in my kids' in my kids' closet. They don't do that, but that's what Donald Trump did. And then if she says, honey, did you bring home work? I'll lie, right? And say, no, I didn't. I didn't bring home that paper. That wasn't that, wasn't that paper. 
And then, oh, there's somebody at the door. And then as she looks the other way, you take the document and you hide it under the bed. That would be the equivalent of working from home yet continuing to hide and obstruct your loved ones if they ask you about what you're working on. So that goes out the window. Let's fast forward from August of 2022 to more recently, in which just this week, Donald Trump said he had the in a power that's never been recognized, completely inconsistent with the Presidential Records Act and criminal law, that he has the absolute unquestioned right to take home documents. Let's roll the tape. They indicted me. They think of it. You don't have to be a lawyer to understand those words. That's very simple as it gets. They indicted me. In other words, whatever documents a president decides to take with him, he has the absolute and unquestioned right to do so. This is a law that was passed and signed. And that's the law, and that's the way it is, and it couldn't be more clear. And I will... You heard it there, the Turning Point um, fundraiser, the turn, Turning Point Action Conference, the one he's bragging about today, that, oh, oh I, got, I got more numbers than the other losers in the Republican Party that I'm running against. Uh, and he uses it, of course, as an excuse to give everybody some sort of crazy nickname, like he's in, in seventh grade, you know, fat, fat and sloppy Chris Christie, and whatever he calls uh, DeSantis. But it doesn't matter, because the statement he made is false, and it will not work in a court of law. Don't worry. I know it sounds good. when he, I know he thinks it sounds good when he's talking to his sycophants and those that love him and the, and the MAGA 30% of the Republican Party. It's not going to work as a legal defense in a court of law with wood paneling, a, two jur you know, a jury box, two counsel table, and a person up on a bench wearing a black robe and a prosecutor. It's not going to work there. So let's roll a video from uh, two weeks ago when he was at another fundraiser in which he said almost the exact same thing. No one believed it at first. Now everyone wants one. In under 45 seconds, I'm going to show you how this device can save you $2,000 a year on cable bills, all while still accessing thousands of broadcast TV shows, movies, sports, and live news, rather than spending over $150 every month on channels you never watch. Plus, useless equipment rentals, this $29 device is the best and most cost-effective way to turn your regular TV into a supercharged home entertainment system. The device uses TV reamping technology to catch satellite TV signals, which unlocks thousands of broadcast TV shows, movies, sports, and live news. Can you imagine a world where you don't have to pay for that overpriced cable bill every month? I can't. It takes less than a minute to set up. All you need is a TV. Then there you go. No internet required. No strings attached. Just simply plug and play. Just like that, you're on your way to save over $150 a month on cable bills like Patrick here. I got mine Black Friday in the mail just a few days after ordering. All I did was plug it in, and the channel finder did all the work. It was like I had an endless amount of shows to choose from. You can enjoy the most powerful TV device on the market today. It's called TV Boost. All without ever having to fall into any expensive contracts or subscriptions. TV Boost has been proven to save up to $178 a month on cable packages, extra subscription services, and useless equipment rentals. That's a total of $2,136 in yearly savings. You can spend a week for two at an all-inclusive five-star resort anywhere in Mexico with a brand-new 70-inch curved screen TV.
dine at the best restaurants in town whenever you want, all by canceling your cable and switching to TV booth. If you want to save over $150 a month on cable bills, then click the Learn More button now. But if you still believe paying for cable companies for a free service is the way to go, then pay close attention to the next 30 seconds. In 1996, Congress passed a new rule called 47 CFR Section 1-4, which stopped cable companies from scrambling their TV signals. The government ruled that TV signals are now legally public property and belong to the people. Ever since that rule came into effect, the price of cable TV has risen by roughly 5.8% each year, almost three times the rate of inflation. On top of the ever-rising cable bill, they are also monetizing you on the back end with commercials. That is 100% wrong. Cable television is a complete ripoff. But is using TV Boost better than cable? I was a little skeptical at first, but when I saw TV Boost on major news networks like Fox News, Forbes, NBC, MSNBC, and A&E, I had to give it a try. Plus, they have an incredible amount of positive reviews on Trustpilot. Here's my TV Boost experience. Day one, setup was fast and easy. All I had to do was plug TV Boost into my TV and enjoy all the free broadcast channels. My wife got all of her reality TV shows, and I got all of my blockbuster movies. There's something for everyone. Day three, I love this. I had some friends over to watch the football game, and everyone was surprised how well it worked. We watched the entire game in HD with no interruptions. Day seven, after seven days, I paid my last cable bill and canceled my service. It felt great to get free stuff. Definitely going to get this for everyone in my family this Christmas. TV Boost really lived up to the hype. You can get one by visiting their official company website by clicking the link below. These devices are selling really fast. If you can get your hands on one, do it. I was placed on a two-week waiting list as it's almost always sold out. I made my purchase. It was delivered to my house within two to three days. Super fast shipping. They are offering a 50% discount with a 30-day money-back guarantee. Get one now before they're sold out. Are you ready to try TV Boost? People look at me and go, did you get your lip sewn? That's how good it works. I scrolled past it a dozen times and I thought it might be before I finally went ahead and clicked the link and was like, okay, I'll try it. I have all of my friends using it. I have most of my clients using it. Both of my sisters use it. It is so awesome because it actually does what it says it's going to do. It really does plump up your lips and give you this beautiful, luscious pouch, but it doesn't sting while it does it. And it also helps reduce like any sort of fine lines that we get. Like I'm here to meet you guys. They're showing up, okay? It's awesome. It's super moisturizing. I wear it to bed at night and wake up and I look so good and my face turns and it's soft and jeans. Look at that. That's I don't have anything else other than this as a lip You can't beat it. So click the link, buy the product. Love it, love.
decides to take with him, he has the absolute right to take them, he has the absolute right to keep them, or he can give them back to Nara if he wants and talks to them like we were doing, and he can do that if he wants. That's the law, and it couldn't be more clear. Okay, you just saw it. Put those two things together with the August 2022 statement about just working from home and bringing documents and all and a standing order, and now understand that there is a body of evidence witness statements, tape recordings, and video recordings, and documents, emails, and texts. Cooperating witnesses like Mark Meadows and Rudy Giuliani and others, including the fake electors, that have now been compiled that completely blow a hole in this line of defense. Not just blow a hole, it drowns it, right? It'll never recover because no juror in their right mind, no jury of his peers, is going to believe that he believed, Donald Trump even believed he had that absolute and unquestioned right, and that is completely against what is listed in the Presidential Records Act. If you read it carefully, the Presidential Records Act 44 U.S.C. 2022, ironically, says that the U.S. 
shall preserve and retain complete ownership, possession, and control over presidential records, without exception. Right? He's talking about classification versus declassification. But even if he declassified something and he didn't, he can't take it with him if it's a presidential record. If it's his personal papers, he can take it with him. But none of the things that we're fighting over over the criminal investigation of Mar-a-Lago are his personal papers, right? This isn't his personal diary right, that only he kept, not to do his job as the president, but like his, his innermost secrets and hopes and dreams not having to do with the presidency. I can't even think of like a personal piece of paper, a letter that he wrote to his, to Melania or a loved one, nothing to do with the criminal investigation. That could be a, a, a personal paper. But if it's a gift from a foreign country, that had to be registered that belongs to the U.S. government. He can't take it with him. And if it's a, a any scrap of paper or data that he was given in order to do his job, which all of the documents we're talking about at Mar-a-Lago, in those 80 or 90 boxes that he kept hiding and moving around like an elaborate shell game, right? Moving around like an MX missile to keep it away from the Department of Justice, keep it away from his own lawyer, Evan Corcoran, right? When he was doing the research, move him up to his pre his, his, his personal residence at Mar-a-Lago, move him back down to the storage unit, move it into an SUV, move it onto a plane, move it to Bedminster, move it back to Mar-a-Lago, all of that. That cat and mouse game with Jack Smith's team, with Merrick Garland's team, with the FBI, with federal judges, all of that, that, that shows criminal intent, corrupt, willful criminal intent in order to convict Donald Trump of a crime, right? And so we're not talking about, we'll make sure everybody understands on this hot take what we're talking about, what we're not talking about. If he had a unique subset of papers that were personal to him, having nothing to do with his job, he's more than... Uh, he's more than um, uh, he, he's more than willing to take them. He can take them, right? They're his, but none of the things in Mar-a-Lago are we talking about fall into that category. None. And, and it doesn't matter what classification system they were under or no classification system. If they're presidential records, which is what we're talking about, they belong to the American people. And when your job is over, whether you're there four years or eight years, those stay with the American people. You don't get to take them or copies with you. That's what he did. And whether they're classified or not classified is a total and complete red herring. Because even if he declassified them, it doesn't mean he can steal them and take them with him to Mar-a-Lago and show them to people. Because they are presidential records, and if they relate to the national defense which all of these boxes of documents we're talking about generally do, including the 100 top secret documents and the things he showed people at that Minster Golf Course about Iranian war plans and nuclear secrets, they, it doesn't matter whether you're declassified, not classified, those are Espionage Act violations. The Espionage Act was passed before the classification system was implemented by the U.S. government. That's why it doesn't talk about top secret, secret, classified. It talks about national defense information much broader because it predates the classification system. So it doesn't matter. And there's no overlap despite Donald Trump saying, I have the sole power, absolute and unquestioned right 
to keep documents and not return them. He doesn't. That's a complete non sequitur. It turns the Presidential Records Act on its head and says the opposite. Unless you're playing the opposite game, like on some sort of dystopian Seinfeld episode, this makes no sense. And it won't make any sense either in filings in federal or state court by his lawyers or in front of a jury or a judge. Okay? It just gives him something to say that whips up the masses that, are, that he's paid to attend his rallies and his uh, conferences and his fundraisers. That's all. So have confidence in that. He is misstating the Presidential Records Act. He doesn't understand the Espionage Act. He doesn't understand there is no Venn diagram in which there is an intersection. There are no presidential papers that are not subject to the Espionage Act if you take national defense information with you. It's not like there's a, an exception for a president. There's no presidential exception to the, to the Espionage Act. Everybody that retains, disseminates, uh, distributes national defense information documents belonging to the U.S. government is guilty of an Espionage Act violation. Whether you're Corporal Teixeira of the National Guard, you know, up in Massachusetts to show off war plans for uh, Ukraine for, for, you know, for some unknown reason to impress his buddies in a gaming platform, or your former president of the United States, it's the same, right? The rain falls equally on the king and the poor, on the former president, whoever else violates. And that's Donald Trump's problem. Because it doesn't say, unless you were the former president of the United States, and you mentally somehow declassify documents that the espionage doesn't care whether they're classified or not, you can't convert them from being national defense information material into something else, right? It's not a feat of alchemy. He can't take it and make it into a laundry list, a grocery list. It is, by its very nature in DNA, NDI, national defense information. He can't magically convert it by presidential, former presidential power into something else. And the evidence is, is, is hard fast and lined up and arrayed against him in volumes, in times, that he did nothing, he did nothing to even be able to argue that these aren't presidential papers, because if they are, they're the American people's, that they aren't classified or not classified because the Espionage Act doesn't matter. And if he didn't think any of these things mattered, and he wasn't trying to hide them, then why is he playing the elaborate shell game to move them around from location to location, from car to storage unit to uh, SUV to plane, from Bedminster to Mar-a-Lago and back, right? If you really believe he had the right, the absolute right, the unquestioned right to retain them, because he didn't. No federal judges believe that's true in issuing the search warrant and the subpoenas and all the orders and all the findings by federal judges, two at least, who have found that Donald Trump more than likely committed a crime in his interactions with first the National Archives, the Department of Justice, the FBI, and ultimately the federal courts. That was already determined by two separate judges. And now we're gonna get to the indictment led by Jack Smith which we expect in July for all things related to the Espionage Act and Mar-a-Lago and, and an updated um, superseding indictment in Mar-a-Lago and then a new indictment about Jan 6th and interference and the cleaning of the power and the failure to transfer power. 
concerned. But for those that hear purpose the Hudson, Donald Trump or his spokespeople continue to tell you and lie to your face that the president, ex or current, has the ability and question and unqualified right to take with him whatever he wants. Isn't that a scary dystopian world to think that just because you got elected president for a period of time through your own kleptocracy, you get to steal and take whatever you want with you, no matter their classification, no matter their impact or compromising of national defense and national security, you just take it with you as a memento because you were president. That's a scary world. It doesn't exist. Uh, but but it, it's a talking point, like lock her up and email server and Biden, uh, Biden family corruption and Hunter Biden laptop that the opponents continue to use to try to bring Donald Trump back to power. We'll continue to shine a light on that in hot takes just like this one, only on the Midas Touch Network. We pull it all together in a long format podcast called Legal AF by Chloe for on Wednesdays and Saturdays here on the Midas Touch Network. Also, free subscribe. You can also follow all the work that I do on hot takes just like this one, on Legal AF as well, in a playlist that you can find on the Midas Touch Network YouTube channel. Just go to playlists. Scroll down, you'll find Michael Kopak and everything that I've done so far. So you got it all in one place. You can follow me on all things social media, including mail threads at MS Kopak. This is Michael Kopak, Legal AF Report. Hey, Midas Mighty, love this report. We continue the conversation by following us on Instagram at Midas Touch. Keep up with the most important news of the day. What are you waiting for? Follow us now.
Judge Aileen Cannon announced that the trial in the classified. What? MSNBC breaking news. So on Friday, Judge Aileen Cannon announced that the trial in the classified documents case is set to take place on May 20th of May. Oh, fuck. Most people have no clue that in 2023, the best way to make money on Amazon is not with physical products. It's Amazon's other company, So bear with me, but uh, 
Would you categorically rule out voting for Donald Trump as the Republican nominee? Yes. Um, I've said that over and over and over again. Didn't vote for him in either of his other two elections either. And given that you've said also that you don't think he'll be the nominee, are there candidates out there? You've also been critical of DeSantis. Are there candidates out there that you think could have a shot of taking him on? I sure hope so. I mean, I'm a little frustrated at this point in time that, as I said a moment ago, uh, nobody's really getting traction. So uh, Trump is at 50% in most polls and most of the other folks, and I think there are 12 candidates. Six of them are my former colleagues as governors. Uh, I know most of the candidates running, and I think uh, maybe seven or eight of them are really capable, good candidates, but they're not getting much attention. And I'm hoping, hoping that someone will rise up and become a candidate that I can get excited about and get behind somebody that maybe has a more hopeful, positive message that can take the party in a different direction. But as we sit here today, I can't tell you who that is going to be. Since you know them all well, and I know you're not endorsing someone right now, you're welcome to, though. <laughs> uh, who should get more attention? Who's being undervalued or underestimated? In the I think most country? of the field. Uh, look, I think, uh, of course, Donald Trump is getting all the attention. He is the elephant in the room. Um, and But DeSantis was getting wall-to-wall -wall coverage, but it's mostly been about his campaign failing to launch or to, that it's heading in the wrong direction. There are you know, a whole bunch of other folks that just are not getting anyone to pay attention, and they're strong. I mean, Tim Scott has got a great positive message. He's starting to come up. He's raised a lot of money, and he's doing, you know, I think he's now moved into third place in Iowa. Um, Chris Christie came from nowhere to be in third place in New Hampshire. You endorsed him in 2016, Chris Christie. Why not now? Well, I'm just trying to wait and see how they perform. You know, they're all, he's a very good friend, and I'm glad that he's out there kind of taking it to Donald Trump and speaking truth to power. Uh, but we've got to you know, see who's going to have the best chance of actually winning the election. So you've said you aren't considering or pursuing a, a third-party run, but you also did put out, I noticed, a couple of people, many people did, a couple campaign-style videos. You've been out there quite publicly. If you were offered or asked to serve uh, as, the, uh, as a third-party nominee, will you... Are you open to that? Well, look, I've been involved in this organization for a long time. Five years ago, I started a group called An America United. Uh, several years ago, I also agreed to be the honorary co-chair of No Labels with Joe Lieberman. Um, I'm a big believer in bipartisan cooperation and reaching across the aisle to get things done. That's how I was successful in the bluest state in America. Uh, but, you know, this is far, far too often in the future, and we don't know what's going to happen. I've said if uh, nobody wants the, you know, candidate A or candidate B, maybe there will be a candidate C. But it's, right now I'm focused on getting the Republican Party on track and trying to nominate a good Republican that can uh, do a better job and that can potentially win a race in November. So um, an NBC poll did show that 44% of registered voters would consider voting for a third-party candidate. Those are the numbers that I have. Um, that's not that uncommon, right? Because back in 2016, that number was 46%, even a slightly bit higher. Uh, would you acknowledge that the appetite for a third-party candidate is not unique necessarily to this year? No, I would totally disagree with that. I well, think the polling, the polling suggests otherwise. This is one poll you're citing, but there are dozens and dozens of polls that would give you really clear facts. So 70% of the people in America do not want Biden or Trump. They don't want a rematch. They don't. Well, hold on a second, because they don't want each of the, they don't want them to run. That does not mean they have a desire and appetite for a third-party candidate. Well, so those let are me, Let me questions. give you some more polls. So 59% uh, of the people say they would, in multiple polls, one says 59, one says 64% would consider a third-party alternative and there's another poll that just came out this week that said given the choice between uh, Trump Biden and neither neither wins so well, you, in my lifetime we have never had a time ever 
even close to this. 49% are registered independent. That's up about 20, some five points from 20 years ago. I, I'm not saying it's going to happen, but there's more of an appetite for it than ever before in history. Well, you can't beat something with nothing. That's true. Right? I think That's we all true. agree with that. I agree with that. So is there any polling you have that suggests that any of the third-party candidates mentioned, yourself, Joe Lieberman, others, could beat Donald Trump and uh, and Joe Biden? I mean, the campaign hasn't been run yet, so you just don't know what it looks like. It, I mean, I know the only place we've been on the ballot together, um, I do pretty well. I finished my eight years as governor with 77 percent approval rating, highest in the country, and it was over 70 with Democrats, independents, and Republicans. Of course, I'm not well known across the country, but, you know, you got to run a race to see what it's going to look like. Right now, it's, uh, you know, the, the, the people are pretty far ahead from where they ever have been before for voting for a third party. Now, back in, in 2016, uh, also when there was an appetite for a third party candidate, there was a third party candidate, and Jill Stein won more this? votes than the margin between Trump and Clinton, which may have made the difference, did make the difference in probably putting Trump over the edge. So how can you be so confident that, and how can how can the labels be so confident that a third party won't elect Trump? Well, you have more than a third, you have a third party candidate now, and uh, the Green Party candidate is pulling about four or five percent away from completely away from Biden. So, if you want to talk about a spoiler, they should focus in on Cornell West, or they should focus in on the people that are pulling thirty percent of the people away in a primary. No labels. It just has an idea that maybe if we get to this point where nobody in America wants the Republican or Democrat, they might run a ticket. We don't know who they are. Um, and we don't know who they would pull from or whether it would be a Republican or a Democrat. So, But they, there are obviously issues and flaws or we wouldn't have two candidates that... ...requested, but well before the November election. Of course, there is a lot that has to happen between now and May of 2024, and Trump's lawyers will no doubt try to use every delay tactic in the book to draw out the legal proceedings. But apart from that, there are practical questions about how this trial will actually take place. Will Trump, as a former president and current presidential contender, gain any special considerations from Judge Cannon? And how will the breakneck pace of the campaign impact how Trump stands trial? I can't think of anyone better to dig into all of these questions than Neil Katiel. He is a former acting U.S. Solicitor General and an MSNBC legal analyst. I have so many questions, but I want to start just kind of with the timeline of this, because I know you've said there's no reason for a delay, but there's also every reason to think that Trump's legal team will want to delay the process. What, I mentioned some of them, but what tactics are you going to be watching for that you expect they might try to deploy? So first of all, Jen, I think that Donald Trump had a really terrible week, not just because of this May 20th scheduling in the stolen documents case, but also receiving that target letter from Jack Smith that you mentioned a moment ago about the January 6th and the days leading up to January 6th potential crimes that Donald Trump committed. So I think the bottom line in the news this week is that it's very likely that Donald Trump is going to be facing two more additional indictments from Jack Smith and from George. Um, before, say, Barbenheimer leaves the theaters. Um, it's really that severe for him. And with, and with respect to the, you know, to the timing here, you're absolutely right. May 20th, if it holds, is an appropriate date. It's a date well before the election. It's a date that can accommodate the campaign schedule and the like. But Trump is going to try and take every single thing on an appeal. He's going to say, for example, that there's a use of classified information 
information and that procedure violates his constitutional rights. He's going to say there's attorney-client evidence that's being introduced into this criminal trial and that violates his rights and the like. Um, the good thing about our system, though, is it's written so that defendants can't slow down and take what we call interlocutory or immediate appeals to the Court of Appeals or to the U.S. Supreme Court. you got to wait till the end of the trial. So Trump can try, but I think right now, May 20th, is a trial date that could and very well should hold. That's incredibly helpful, and I was waiting for the Barbenheimer reference. We haven't had yet in the show today. I, I wanted to ask you, I mean, we've all also been in this terrible week for Trump on kind of a ver another version of indictment watch uh, because of that target letter that was sent, but we also learned about a number of high-level witnesses who Jack Smith and his team still want to talk to. What does that all tell you about the timing of a potential indictment? Should we all be kind of pressing refresh, or could it be longer than this week? I think we should be pressing refresh. I think it's likely that something will happen this week. So Jack Smith sent this target letter to Donald Trump saying that we're looking at you specifically for the violation of three criminal statutes. He doesn't have to do that under the Justice Department rules, but it's very common. And it doesn't mean that he's guaranteeing that there will be an indictment. Sometimes target letters are sent mm -hmm. and there's no indictment that's ultimately brought. Here, however, I think that all indications are this is heading to an indictment. You don't send a target letter to a former president unless you're pretty darn sure that you've got the goods. And it does look like that Jack Smith has the goods. There's reports of the fact that Governor Kemp from Georgia has been called before Jack Smith to provide evidence about the fake electors plot. There's suggestions that Mark Meadows, Donald Trump's former chief of staff, may have provided evidence against him to the Jack Smith investigation. And there's, of course, what we all know. We saw for two months what Donald Trump did after the November election and all of the different things. And the January 6th committee has uncovered a lot, leading a very respected federal judge, Judge David Carter in California, a federal judge, to say it's more likely than not that Donald Trump committed a series of federal felonies, including two of which were named in the Jack Smith lead target letter. So in that target letter, it, it kind of outlined two of the charges that we many of us expected, conspiracy to defraud the United States and obstructing an official proceeding. What was more surprising to us non-lawyers was a Reconstruction-era statute on the deprivation of rights. Uh, what was your reaction to seeing that in the target letter? Gratitude. I said from the beginning that to that, to that statute, 18 U.S.C. 241, which is which is enacted to prevent the Ku Klux Klan from depriving newly freed African Americans of the right to vote and other things, that that was an appropriate statute to use. It really does describe what Donald Trump did, which is that he conspired with others to deprive people of their civil rights. In particular, what he was doing with his henchmen was saying. To to state legislatures, hey, there's vote fraud here. You can throw out the vote in your state and just send your own hand-picked slate of electors to Washington, D.C. to count in the Electoral College and deprive all of the citizens in a state like Arizona or Georgia of their votes. That is a preposterous legal theory. Indeed, I just argued a version of it in the United States Supreme Court in a case called Moore versus Harper and won it six to three. I mean, it is a... Uh, it is, you know, so anti-democratic, so corrosive, and 18 U.S.C. 241 is exactly the right way to think about going after it.
Cattail, thank you as always for providing tons of clarity for all of this legal. Uh, still seem to have a new favorite Democrat, Robert F. Kennedy Jr. And his long shot presidential run against Joe Biden have become something of a fixation in right wing circles, a bit of an obsession. Leading Republican candidate Donald Trump has openly praised him. Fox News has dedicated a considerable amount of airtime to him, raving over it, everything from his workout routine to his family name, yes, Fox and the Kennedy name, and how he is, quote, polling so well against Joe Biden, even though, just as a side note, he's around 50 points behind, and that gap is apparently widening as people get to know more about him. Fox has published more than 80 articles and videos about Kennedy since he launched his campaign in April. And just to put that in perspective, that kind of expansive coverage is usually reserved over there for whoop, Mickey Mouse, communist Barbie, and other topics along those lines. And more coverage seems to be coming. Sean Hannity is going to host a town hall with RFK Jr. this week. Even Republican lawmakers love this guy. When RFK Jr. testified this week at Jim Jordan's latest hearing of the so-called Government Weaponization Committee, Republican mayor member Chip Roy gave him a special introduction. Mr. Kennedy finds himself receiving the scorn of both the political left and right. Because if one dares challenge the orthodoxy of the powers that be, then one is their enemy. As a graduate of the University of Virginia, Mr. Kennedy no doubt knows the following quote. For here we are afraid, for here we are not afraid to follow truth wherever it may lead. With all this talk of challenging orthodoxy, which by the way, orthodoxy, he, I think he means science, um, it really makes you wonder, what is it that Kennedy stands for that has the right so head over heels for him? Is it his years of work as an anti-vaccine advocate? His repeatedly debunked claim that vaccines cause autism? Is it his trafficking in a variety of COVID vaccine conspiracy theories, including ones involving microchips being inserted into all of our bodies? Are they fans of his recent comments that COVID was, quote, ethnically targeted to spare Chinese and Jewish people? Or is it his assertion that antidepressants like Prozac have caused the rise of school shootings in America? Obviously, completely insane and not true. Or that Wi-Fi causes cancer and something called leaky brain, whatever that may be. Or is it his claim that chemicals in the water could be turning kids transgender? I couldn't even cover all of these outlandish crazy claims because we need to continue with our show. But RFK Jr. has a long list of them. And I'd like to know which ones make House Republicans so eager to platform him. Or maybe it's really not about RFK Jr. at all, but instead about Joe Biden. Like that saying goes, the enemy of my enemy is my friend. That may make more strategic sense, but it would be incredibly cynical if Republicans were elevating a conspiracy theorist who spews false and inaccurate lies, some that could even be damaging to the public and public health, just to create trouble for their political opponent. I mean, that would be a leap, even for the right, to embrace a candidate enamored with conspiracies, just as a means to advance their own political objectives. They've never sunk that low before, or have they? Do you accept that President Obama was born in the United States? No, is not I, I, I would, uh, His father was with Lee Harvey Oswald prior to Oswald being, uh, you know, shot. I mean, the whole thing is 
ridiculous. All of this was the global warming and that, and a lot of it's a hoax. It's a hoax. If you have a windmill anywhere near your house, congratulations. Your house just went down 75% in value. And they say the noise causes cancer. You told me that one, okay? You know, there are those that say, you can test too much. You do know that. Who says that? We were getting ready to win this election. Frankly, we did win this election. So maybe, this may be, the problem isn't just RFK Jr. or even Donald Trump. Maybe the problem is the tendency to give credence to conspiracy theorists. Here's the thing. There are two explanations, only two here, for why the right loves RFK Jr. so much. One is that they genuinely believe in him and that his conspiracies deserve to be amplified in the national conversation. They think those conspiracies should be out there. The other explanation is that they don't believe RFK Jr., but believe that it'll be beneficial to them if they help Republican college just as strongly for platforming RFK Jr. These folks have a plan. They want to give expression to the most vile sorts of speech here in this committee room because it prepares the ground for their own conspiracy theories and pseudoscience. And they apparently don't care how many people are hurt or die as a consequence of their actions either through lies about vaccines or threats to the safety of witnesses, because nothing, nothing is more important to them than power. And Congresswoman Stacey Plaskett, the ranking Democrat on the Subcommittee on Government Weaponization, joins me now. So you were very critical of Republicans for giving RFK Jr. a platform. And I'm just trying to figure out why they did this. And you outlined it a little bit there, but do you think they're actually on board with these conspiracy theories? Is this all about political power and hurting Joe Biden and other Democrats? What's your take on that? Sure. Thanks so much for having me here with you. You know, and I think there are two levels to what the Republicans are doing, specifically on this committee. The first is, as we said, giving RFK a platform, which is a direct shot at Biden and at his presidency because RFK Jr. has said he's running in the Democratic primary. So they think that he's going to, you know, kind of hurt him a little bit. I believe that over the next year, Americans are really going to learn what the Biden administration has done to support American families and drive down inflation and all the good works that they're doing. And so that's something that I'm not as concerned with. I think what's more insidious is what they're doing is giving individuals like RFK a platform to desensitize Americans and to also make the Biden administration, social media platforms and others hesitant about stopping untruths, stopping misinformation, and stopping what will happen during the height of the 2024 election, presidential election, which are Russian, Iranian, and Chinese trolls that are going onto those social media platforms and trying to suppress the American vote. You gave such a powerful opening statement that was the most clear articulation I've heard of why the Republican anti-censorship argument is bogus. What are the key points that you wish other Democrats and others would be making out there about that argument? Well, you know, first of all, they want to talk about censorship. That anytime you point out untruths, you're censoring. You're stopping people from speaking. 
it's not that we're not stopping people from speaking. People can speak. But we're also going to give the American people the truth so that they can have science and facts and history against wild outlandish claims that the Republicans are trying to get. That's not only going to keep them from going to the polls or suppressing vote or telling untruths, but is also really very detrimental to the American people. You know, I mean, RFK has put forth ideas that are both anti-Semitic, um, racist against not just Chinese, but has been his, he and his group have been the cause of measles outbreaks in Minnesota against Somalian communities, um, telling black Americans not to be vaccinated at all while his own children are vaccinated, and really trying to break down Americans' belief in the rule of law, in truth, as it, as it should be. The, the vaccinating, what you noted, the vaccinating, uh, asking will to be vaccinated to attend his, an event he was hosting or something like that versus telling yes. people not to be vaccinated is really startling. It was such a good thing, an interesting thing to call it. I wanted to ask you because this week uh, there was also a lot of news on the legal front as it relates to the former president. And the Washington Post published a piece that really stuck out to me about how intertwined Donald Trump's campaign has become with his legal defense. According to the piece, just over half of the money he raised last quarter went to an affiliated pack that is footing his legal bills. Uh, your Republican colleagues continue to support him, of course, but is this campaign becoming increasingly about keeping him out of prison? And how is that even allowed for him to use so much of that money for his own legal defense? Well, I don't know the FEC rules with regard to that, um, but I do recognize that what Donald Trump has done is telling his base that him being in jail is them being in jail. You know, trying to say that the insurrectionists and those who have been charged rightly by our FBI, by the Department of Justice for the crimes that they committed are in fact them being put to crimes. And so it's this fear factor of their own lives that he's trying to intertwine himself with. Well, Jen, we know that his life is nothing like a regular American's life. The kind of privileges and the kinds of work that his children have been able to do, um, you know, utilizing the White House for their own financial gain is nothing like what should, would happen in a regular American's life. But he has really driven his base to believe that and uh, imprisoning him is imprisoning them, which is absolutely ludicrous. What the Department of Justice is doing is saying that no one is above the law. You are pretty steeped deeply into the details of, of Donald Trump's actions as a former impeachment manager. I asked one of your colleagues, Jamie Raskin, this question, but I'm curious, as we all wait for potential indictment uh, around Trump's efforts to overturn the election, what questions do you hope Jack Smith's investigation will shed light on that maybe you didn't have time or didn't get into details on uh, when you were looking into this? Sure. Well, first, as uh, many people may know, Jamie Raskin is not only my colleague, but was my law school professor. So <laughs> yes. I have enormous respect for him and the work that he's been able to do and the fight that he has for our republic. You know, the impeachment that was done, and we wanted to do that impeachment while the president was still in office. Mitch McConnell dragged it until after the elect, after the swearing in of President Biden. But we really just had kind of a skeleton. Uh, and then the January 6th committee run 
fabulously by uh, Benny Thompson, was able to put some sinew on what happened on January 6th and the lead up to it, as you said, um, Jen, which is so important. This is something that occurred over a protracted period of time. The things that I am hoping that we'll hear from, uh, you know, from Jack Smith, who has subpoena power, who can force people to come in and testify, which the committee was unable to do, as well as the impeachment didn't, was to actually hear conversations, to hear from the people who were closest to the president, to have the documents, for us to be able to see explicitly what the president was thinking in the lead up, and not only what he was thinking, but what he did to try and destroy our democracy. Come 8th District in Congress, Jamie Raskin has distinguished himself as a champion of American democracy. As a constitutional scholar turned congressman, He's best known for the impassioned case he made against Donald Trump for inciting the January 6th insurrection during Trump's second impeachment. But, as I learned, his interests range from William Shakespeare to Bruce Springsteen. In fact, it was a member of Springsteen's E Street Band who gave him the distinctive bandanas he's worn since his chemotherapy for lymphoma last year. I recently joined the congressman for a hike in Rock Creek Park where we discussed that and much more, including the deeply personal story of losing his only son. Thank you. Welcome to Maryland's June 4th Congressional District. I'm happy to be here. Should we go hike? Let's go hike. Let's go. So hiking is a part of your life. It's a part of what you do on a regular basis. How often do you hike? Well, I grew up hiking this part. This Your parents took you hiking? Yes. Or I would go with other people, but uh, yeah, uh, I remember this area well from when I was a kid. Um, and um, we took all of our kids hiking here in Rock Creek Park. And it's really an absolutely magical place. Um, as you can see with very thick tree canopy. This is the boundary bridge connecting Maryland to Washington, D.C. Oh, shit, just... Uh... AOC slammed the Republican Party today during the Oversight Committee hearing for trying to paint Democrats and Joe Biden as politically corrupt individuals who are trying to interfere with the Department of Justice and trying to bend it to do their bidding when the Republican Party, Donald Trump, these mega morons, have the track record of doing just to a New York Times uh, article, which I'd like to present to the record today, President Trump's attorney wrote to the Judiciary Committee chairman, urging him to investigate what he called, quote, a rogue local district attorney. And after, after that New York DA convened a grand jury that ultimately indicted Donald Trump, Chairman Jordan complied with that letter shortly after President Trump's attorney sent that letter to uh, the committee, which is highly unusual, a very highly unusual act. And in fact, after that, on March 20th, Chairman Jordan, together with the Committee on House Administration, Chairman Brian Steele, as well as the chairman of this committee, 
wrote to District Attorney Bragg and then demanded a sweeping series of documents, including communications between the DA's office and the Department of Justice, also highly unusual. In fact, on his Truth Social account later on, Donald Trump claimed that the U.S. attorney investigating Hunter Biden, a U.S. attorney, by the way, that Donald Trump appointed, was, quote, a coward. And then in that, he then urged that maybe the presiding judge will have the courage and intellect to break up this, quote, cesspool of crime. Curiously, just a few days after this tweet, the chairman of the Ways and Means Committee, Jason Smith, sent a letter to U.S. Attorney David Weiss and Attorney General Merrick Garland, who are implicated in this hearing, as explicitly asking them to place the whistleblower testimony from the committee's depositions into the court record, which were addressed during the chairman's opening statement before Hunter Biden's plea hearing at the end of the month. And as you can see right here, Jamin, Chairman Smith explicitly said, and I quote, entering this information into the formal record. Additionally, those two chairmen waived onto this hearing today. Highly unusual. With the gentleman, gentleman yield. And one moment. And when we talk about political influence, we are not here today, unfortunately, because the facts have brought us here. We are here today because Donald Trump is exerting an influence campaign in Congress when he is no longer president of the United States. In addition to that, if we want to talk about charges that have been dismissed, and if we do want to follow the evidence, perhaps we should discuss Ivanka Trump's investigation being charged, who was close to being charged with felony fraud after Donald Trump's personal attorney provided political contributions to the local DA, those charges were dismissed, and ultimately we saw that that, that, that uh, DA Vance, President Trump's attorney provided over $50,000 in political contributions after the case was dismissed. So when we talk about political contributions, I would hope if we are following the evidence that, that we are willing that this committee, if this committee is going to go there, that they be willing to open investigations into the dismissal of charges against Ivanka Trump. And by the way, if the chair, if the gentlelady from Georgia wanted to follow evidence, we should also take a look at hypothetically a case where sex trafficking charges against a 17-year-old girl potentially. Gentlelady's time's expired. Thank you. AOC looking like she wanted to punch somebody at the end of her questioning there. She was actually referring to Matt Gates there. Uh, Matt Gates, who paid for the company of a 17-year-old girl, trafficked her across state lines, actually was caught because he paid using Venmo. Well, those charges were dropped. The Department of Justice said that... Uh, they were not going to charge Matt Gates, and Why not? AOC points out that oh, that was highly unusual. Maybe someone from outside of uh, government is still trying to influence the Department of Justice. I wonder who that could be. Maybe it was the one-time orange buffoon, uh, the disgraced former president who was impeached twice, probably, because she brings up another point, and it's crazy because. Donald Trump was so corrupt, the Republican Party is so corrupt that it's really hard to keep track of all the corruption. 
And that's why AOC uh, does such a fantastic job here, and that's why it's so important that we have uh, people like her in the Democratic Party, uh, because they got the receipts, right? And so she brings up all these highly unusual things, like Donald Trump messaging Jim Jordan and asking him to do his bidding, and then Jim Jordan gets waved onto the committee, and doing this with another representative, another committee chairman. Uh, a Donald Trump attorney paying a district attorney $50,000 after... Phone charging slowly. This is the fastest phone charger on the market. There's a 90% chance your phone... District attorney $50,000 after an investigation was stopped into uh, felony fraud. Uh, an investigation into Ivanka Trump, Donald Trump's daughter, for felony fraud. And what about the $2 billion Jared Kushner got from the Saudis? No investigation into that, huh? It's high. The, DA, the Justice Department. from the Saudis. No investigation into that, huh? It's highly unusual, Republicans. And they have the audacity to sit on this committee and try to pretend like, oh, these Democrats, with no evidence, with no evidence, and with really, really sketchy whistleblowers. One who was a registered Chinese spy who was selling arms to the Iranian regime in Libya. That's where the Republican Party's at. They are so boldly lying and trying to confuse voters and trying to, uh, to, to divide the Republican Party away from everyone else because they want to paint the picture that they're the ones who are trying to clean out government when they are the dirtiest of them all. And God bless AOC for standing up to these disgusting politicians. Donald Trump, all of these mega morons in, in Congress who are st still doing his bidding. Marjorie Taylor Greene today was holding up pornographic photos of Hunter Biden, which they got off of a laptop, took from a private citizen, uh, and showed off uh, in, 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 on Capitol Hill, which is totally disgraceful. And I'm hoping that Hunter Biden sues the socks off of MTG uh, for doing what she did today. But her actions, and I'm not even going to 
show any images or videos of what she showed. Uh, but it is just symbolic of how disgusting the Republican Party is these days. So if you are like me, you're sick and tired of it, and you like pushing back and taking action uh, and spreading the news and spreading the word uh, that that's, that doesn't represent us, right? That, that Marjorie Taylor. Uh, when Donald Trump was inaugurated and uh, my colleague John Lewis called for a boycott and we all decided not to go, I instead went on a hike and I invited all my constituents to come. That, that on is a hike. unfair. So, yeah. <laughs> now, you, you just entered remission for cancer, which is amazing news. How are you feeling? Well, thank you for asking, Jen. I feel, um, well, hugely better from what I was feeling like during the big chemo. It was a brutal process, but I'm back in the land of the healthy, so I'm very grateful for that. You've kind of brought bandanas back to cool again, I would say. You got one from a pretty famous person, Stephen Van Dant, right? No, I didn't get one. I got a dozen. Oh, a dozen from him. What was yeah. your reaction when you got those? I couldn't believe it. I mean, what had happened was I, I put one on when my hair really started to fall out with the chemo. And then a reporter said to me, uh, you know, what are you doing? Are you dressed up like a pirate? I said, oh, I'm dressed up like little Stephen Van Zandt, you know, because I always thought it was a cool book and I figured that would be a way to do it. He saw the article and then he sent me a big bag of these bandanas and he said, these are, uh, they're, they're not a present, they're a hand-me-down. Oh, but he like he used them. <laughs> yeah. okay. Now, I know that you were a big Shakespeare fan because I've heard you quote Shakespeare. Yes. How did that start? Do you have a favorite play, sonnet? Well, um, yeah, I guess it started in high school when I first started reading the plays, including, you know, Romeo and Juliet and Twelfth Night. We have a great Shakespeare for Young People group in my district oh. called Lumina, and I've written some, I've rewritten some of the plays for the purposes of, of the young, young people. people producing them, and that's... Um, a wonderful feeling to see the light bulbs go off when they understand what's happening in the play. Thanks, it comes to light. Should we sit down for a few minutes? Somebody knitting. <laughs> what about the rest of the interview? Uh, when Donald Trump was inaugurated and uh, my colleague John Lewis called for a boycott and we all decided not to go, I instead went on a hike and I invited all my constituents to come. <laughs> that is unfair. So, yeah. <laughs> now, you, you just entered remission for cancer, which is amazing news. How are you feeling? Well, thank you for... What if I told you there's a secret hack to get all your favorite TV channels for free, legally? Would you do it? This new... Michael Popak, Legal AF, Donald Trump, for the last year and as recently as this past week, continues to tell the American people and his supporters that he has a defense to the Espionage Act claims brought against him by Jack Smith because Donald Trump, in his view, 
completely against the law, completely against the precedent of the Presidential Records Act, has the, in his view, quote, absolute and unquestioned right to take any documents he wants, return any documents he wants once he left the presidency. He has said it time and time again. We've heard him say, uh, for instance, um, with a spokesperson in August of 2022, going back almost a full year, that there was a standing order to declassify. Let's run that, and then I'm going to update on this hot take what's happened in the year since, but it starts in August of 2022. Here in Justin News, the following statement. I, I apologize for looking down, but I have to, it's so fresh, it's on my phone. It literally just came in. This is from President Trump's office. Uh, it just came in a few minutes ago. As we can all relate to everyone, to, as, uh, as we can all relate to, everyone ends up having to bring home their work from time to time. American presidents are no different. President Trump, in order to prepare the work the next day, often took documents, including classified documents, to the residents. He had a standing order, there's the word I've been looking for, that documents removed from the Oval Office and taken to the residents were deemed to be declassified the moment he removed them. The power to classify and declassify documents rests solely with the President of the United States. The idea that some paper-pushing bureaucrat with classification authority delegated by the President needs to prove that the classification is absurd. I asked around over the last couple of days. And, okay, that is not how that works. First of all, there has been testimony developed by Jack Smith, the special prosecutor, that's established that there was no such order. In fact, in response to a Freedom of Information Act request made by a citizens group to obtain a copy of that standing order, the federal government had to respond, there is no written copy or any copy of the standing order. Other people, advisors of Donald Trump, stripped of immunity, forced and compelled to testify before the grand jury, or doing so to avoid their own criminal liability, have told Jack Smith, in no uncertain terms, that there was no uncertain, there was no standing order, that Donald Trump did not magically uh, make classification systems disappear, and nor did he think he did at the time he left the White House and the boxes were packed on his way to Mar-a-Lago. We also know that Donald Trump doesn't believe that either, because we have the Bedminster recordings that are part of the indictment Jack Smith has brought, in which Donald Trump clearly says, these documents that I'm showing you illicitly in violation of the Espionage Act, these Iranian war documents, these battle maps that I'm unfurling in front of you and you're laughing over without classification, without being having top secret classified uh, a ranking, those documents, all of those, they're classified. I wish I could have made them declassified when I had the chance when I was president, but I didn't. These are classified. Let me show them to you. That indicates, of course, to any thinking human being and a future juror that Donald Trump knew that he did not have a standing order, and that's all BS. That's August of, of uh, 2022, right, in which you heard the, um, the spokesperson say, you know, it's like any person taking home work. You know, it's the president takes home work. He, he WFHs too, to which I respond, no, you didn't AF. There's no way you took those documents home and just forgot to return them, not with all the evidence we have of you hiding them, moving them. I'll tell you what people don't do when they bring home, home work to work on from, from work. They don't then spend the rest of the day hiding it from their wives 
their wife and loved ones. They don't say, well, I'll put it on the table. Wait a minute, she's coming home soon. I'll go put my work in a closet. No, now she's not looking. She's looking the other way. I'll move it down to the basement. Oh, I'll, I'll hide it in my kids' in my kids' closet. They don't do that. But that's what Donald Trump did. And then if she says, honey, did you bring home work? I'll lie, right? And say, no, I, I didn't. I didn't bring home that paper. That wasn't that, wasn't that paper. And then, oh, there's somebody at the door. And then as she looks the other way, you take the documents and you hide them under the bed. That would be the equivalent of working from home yet continuing to hide, obstruct your loved ones if they ask you about what you're working on. So that goes out the window. Let's fast forward from August of 2022 to more recently, in which just this week, Donald Trump said he had the in a power that's never been recognized, completely inconsistent with the Presidential Records Act and criminal law, that he has the absolute unquestioned right to take home documents. Let's roll the tape. They indicted me. They think of it. You don't have to be a lawyer to understand those words. It's very as simple as it gets. They indicted me. In other words, whatever documents a president decides to take with him, he has the absolute and unquestioned right to do so. This is a law that was passed and signed. And that's the law, and that's the way it is, and it couldn't be more clear. And I will... Okay. You heard it there at the Turning Point uh, fundraiser, the Turning, Turning Point Action Conference, the one he's bragging about today, that, oh, oh I, got, I got more numbers than the other losers in the Republican Party that I'm running against. Uh, and he uses it, of course, as an excuse to give everybody some sort of crazy nickname, like he's in, in seventh grade, you know, fat, fat and sloppy Chris Christie, and whatever he calls uh, DeSantis. But it doesn't matter, because the statement he made is false, and it will not work in a court of law. Don't worry. I know it sounds good. When he, I know he thinks it sounds good when he's talking to his sycophants and those that love him and the, and the MAGA 30% of the Republican Party, but it's not going to work as a legal defense in a court of law with wood paneling, a two jury, you know, a jury box, two counsel table, and a person up on a bench wearing a black robe and a prosecutor. Not going to work there. So let's roll the, a video from uh, two weeks ago when he was at another fundraiser in which he said almost the exact same thing. Phony case. Well, it is true. In other words, whatever documents the president decides to take with him, he has the absolute right to take them. He has the absolute right to keep them, or he can give them back to NARA if he wants. He talks to them like we were doing, and he can do that if he wants. That's the law, and it couldn't be more clear. Okay, you just saw it. Put those two things together with the August 2022 statement about just working from home and bringing documents at home and a standing order. And now understand that there's a body of evidence, witness statements, tape recordings, and video recordings, and documents, emails, and texts. Cooperating witnesses like Mark Meadows and Rudy Giuliani and others, including the fake electors, that have now been compiled that completely blow a hole in this line of defense. It's not just blow a hole. It drowns it, right? It'll never recover. Because no juror in their right mind, no jury of his peers, is going to believe that he believed, Donald Trump even believed he had that absolute and unquestioned right. And that is completely against what is listed in the Presidential Records Act. If you read it carefully, the Presidential Records Act 44 
USC 2022. Ironically, he says that the U.S. shall preserve and retain complete ownership, possession, and control over presidential records, without exception. He's talking about classification versus declassification. But even if he declassified something and he didn't, he can't take it with him if it's a presidential record. It's his personal papers. He can take it with him. But none of the things that we're fighting over over the criminal investigation of Mar-a-Lago are his personal papers. Right? This isn't his personal diary. Right? That only he kept not to do his job as the president, but like his his innermost secrets and hopes and dreams not having to do with the presidency. I can't even think of like a personal piece of paper. A letter that he wrote to his to Melania or a loved one and nothing to do with the criminal investigation. That could be a, a, a personal paper. But if it's a gift from a foreign country, that had to be registered that belongs to the US government. He can't take it with him. And if it's a any scrap of paper or data that he was given in order to do his job, which all of the documents we're talking about at Mar-a-Lago, in those 80 or 90 boxes that he kept hiding and moving around like an elaborate shell game, right? Moving it around like an MX missile to keep it away from the Department of Justice, keep it away from his own lawyer, Evan Corcoran, right? When he was doing the research, move him up to his his. His, his personal residence at Mar-a-Lago, move him back down to the storage unit, move it into an SUV, move it onto a plane, move it to Bedminster, move it back to Mar-a-Lago, all of that, that cat and mouse game with Jack Smith's team, with Merrick Garland's team, with the FBI, with federal judges, all of that, that, that shows criminal intent, corrupt, willful criminal intent in order to convict Donald Trump of a crime, right? And so we're not talking about, make sure everybody understands on this hot take, what we're talking about, what we're not talking about. If he had a unique subset of papers that were personal to him, having nothing to do with his job, he's more than, uh, he's more than, um, uh, he's more than willing to take them. He can take them, right? They're his. But none of the things in Mar-a-Lago are we talking about fall into that category. And, we, and it doesn't matter what classification system they were under, or no classification system. If they're presidential records, which is what we're talking about, they belong to the American people. And when your job is over, whether you're there four years or eight years, those stay with the American people. You don't get to take them or copies with you. That's what he did. And whether they're classified or not classified is a total and complete red herring. Because even if he declassified them. It doesn't mean he can steal them and take them with him to Mar-a-Lago and show them to people because they are presidential records and if they relate to the national defense, which all of these boxes of documents we're talking about generally do, including the 100 top secret documents and the things he showed people at Bedminster Golf Course about Iranian war plans and nuclear secrets, they, it doesn't matter whether you have declassified, not classified, those are Espionage Act violations. The Espionage Act was passed before the classification system was implemented by the U.S. government. That's why it doesn't talk about top secret, secret, classified. It talks about national defense information much broader because it predates the classification system. So it doesn't matter. And there's no overlap despite 
Donald Trump saying, I have the sole power, absolute and unquestioned right to keep documents and not return them. He doesn't. That's a complete non sequitur. It turns the Presidential Records Act on its head and says the opposite. Unless you're playing the opposite game, like on some sort of dystopian Seinfeld episode, this makes no sense. And it won't make any sense either filings in federal or state court by his lawyers or in front of a jury or a judge. Okay? It just gives him something to say that whips up the masses that are that he's paid to attend his rallies and his uh, conferences and his fundraisers. That's all. So have confidence in that. He is misstating the Presidential Records Act. He doesn't understand the Espionage Act. He doesn't understand there is no Venn diagram in which there is an intersection. There are no presidential papers that are not subject to the Espionage Act if you take national defense information with you. It's not like there's a, an exception for a president. There's no presidential exception to the, to the Espionage Act. Everybody that retains, disseminates, uh, distributes national defense information documents belonging to the U.S. government is guilty of an Espionage Act violation. Whether you're Corporal Teixeira of the National Guard, you know, up in Massachusetts to show off war plans for uh, Ukraine for, for, you know, for some unknown reason to impress his buddies in a gaming platform, or your former President of the United States, it's the same. Right? The rain falls equally on the king and the poor, on the former president, whoever else violates. And that's Donald Trump's problem. Because it doesn't say, unless you were the former president of the United States, and you mentally somehow declassify documents that the espionage doesn't care whether they're classified or not, you can't convert them from being national defense information material into something else. Right? It's not a feat of alchemy. You can't take it and make it into a laundry list, a grocery list. It is, by its very nature, in DNA, NDI, National Defense Information. He can't magically convert it by presidential, former presidential power into something else. And the evidence is, is, is hard fast and lined up and arrayed against him in volumes, in tons, that he did nothing. He did nothing to even be able to argue that these aren't presidential papers, because if they are, they're the American people's, that they aren't classified or not classified because the Espionage Act doesn't matter. And if he didn't think any of these things mattered, and he wasn't trying to hide them, then why is he playing the elaborate shell game to move them around from location to location, from car to storage unit to uh, SUV to plane, from Bedminster to Mar-a-Lago and back? Right? If you really believed he had the right, the absolute right, unquestioned right to retain them. Because he didn't. No federal judges believe that's true in issuing the search warrant and the subpoenas and all the orders and all the findings by federal judges, two at least, who have found that Donald Trump more than likely committed a crime in his interactions with first the National Archives, the Department of Justice, FBI, oh. and ultimately the federal courts. That was already determined by two separate judges. And now we're gonna to get to the indictment led by Jack Smith, which we expect in July for all things related to the Espionage Act and Mar-a-Lago and, and an updated uh, superseding indictment in Mar-a-Lago and then a new indictment about 
John 6 and interference and the clinging to power and the failure to transfer power peacefully. But for those that hear the purpose of the hot tank, Donald Trump or his spokespeople continue to tell you and lie to your face that the president, ex or current, has the ability, unquestioned and unqualified right, to take with him whatever he wants. Isn't that a scary dystopian world to think that just because you got elected president for a period of time through your own kleptocracy, you get to steal and take whatever you want with you, no matter their classification, no matter their impact or compromising of national defense and national security, you can just take them with you as a memento because you were president? That's a scary world. It doesn't exist. Uh, but but it, it's a talking point, like lock her up and email server and Biden uh, Biden family corruption and Hunter Biden laptop that the opponents continue to use to try to bring Donald Trump back to power. We'll continue to shine a light on that in hot takes just like this one, only on the Midas Touch Network. We'll pull it all together in a long format podcast called Legal AI by co on Wednesdays. And Saturdays here on the Midas Touch Network. Also, free subscribe. You can also follow all the work that I do on hot takes just like this one, on Legal AF as well, in a playlist that you can find on the Midas Touch Network YouTube channel. Just go to playlists, scroll down, and you'll find Michael Popak and everything that I've done so far. So you've got it all in one place. You can follow me on all things social media, including now threads at MS Popak. This is Michael Popak, Legal AF Report. Hey, Midas Mighty, love this report. We continue the conversation by following us on Instagram, at Midas Touch, to keep up with the most important news of the day. What are you waiting for? Follow us now. Action isn't allowed, they won't let me do that. Okay, well, I can check. Hey, talk. Tweeting it as well. At the beach. Let's see, beach. Beach. Search for beach. Huntington Beach, Miami Beach. How about Miami Beach? That sounds fun. 
pretend I'm at the beach. Daytona Beach. Um, beach. They don't want me to say I'm at the beach. There we go, Miami Beach. Okay. Hmm. Anyway, th yeah, thanks for 210K. Weekend show. Oh, it hasn't started yet. <laughs>